Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, I'm supposed to be wearing a sling, but I can't stand it. So my sling is not on my shoulder. Uh, my wife told me, I'll, I'll put it on second service so that Charlotte thinks I've been wearing it. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, I had shoulder replacement surgery a month ago this past Friday. And I'm thankful for the prayers. I, I think I'm healing up pretty well. You can move it around a little bit. So I'm going to be the bionic man. Anyway, you know, and as I've been laid up a little bit, it just, again, re-ups the appreciation you have for the people in your life. It re-ups all the things that uh, you don't ever think about because you're too busy. And so one of the things that I keep reflecting on, because you have been so loving toward me, and we just, we are created to be loved. And so it's so nice to know that you're loved, amen? And first of all, that you're loved by God, that's the most important, but also the importance of being loved by people family, friends. And so in, our, in this uh, book of Ruth, it's all about God's redeeming love and the, 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 caption, the, the capturing that God does of our hearts because of his love. So we're going to look at this whole picture of redeeming love. So if you're in R Ruth, would you stand as we read? I'm going to read just the first uh, six verses as we stand and just honor God's word together. I'll pray and then you can be seated and we'll, we'll look at this first chapter. Now it came to pass, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Epaphrites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the, of the one was Oprah, uh, Orpah, just kidding, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman, the, the woman survived her two sons and her, and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. In fact, uh, Bethlehem means the house of bread. Judah means praise. So, Lord, we thank you again that you are the bread of life, that you are our praise. And we thank you for your word. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We have it in such abundance. We never want to take it for granted. We pray, Lord, again, that you would speak to us this morning. We know, Lord, that you love us. We need to hear again your voice, whether it's a silent, that small, still voice, or a little, more a little louder, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would be able to minister your word to us this morning to our hearts, that you bless this study of the book of Ruth, that we would grow in our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So bless now, I ask the things I prepared, break them fresh, we're hungry. Speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what the, what the book of Ruth does is it shows us that God is at work in the normal, everyday events of life. As we go along, we're, often we're not aware of that, but God is working. In fact, God makes it his business to oversee, love, and care for us. Isn't that fantastic? God is love. This is an epic narrative. It involves sorrow and struggle, loyalty, and love. 
romance, and redemption. When Benjamin Franklin, who was one of our founding fathers, he was ambassador to France, he spoke to a group of intellectuals and who continually scoffed that he believed the Bible. So he was not convinced that they even knew the Bible. And so he said to them, as they're mocking, he said, by the way, gentlemen, I have come across a most intriguing love story that I'd love to read to you tonight. I think you'll find it interesting. And so he pulled out a handwritten copy of the book of Ruth. And after he finished the four short chapters, his audience was ecstatic. ecstatic. That is the greatest love story I've ever heard, they exclaimed. You must publish it at once. He said, it's already been published. It's the Bible. And really, this is a little microcosm of the whole of the Bible. It's a love letter to us of God, our Redeemer, the redemption of God that he has offered to us through Jesus Christ. It's a powerful love story. It ministers a message of hope and how we need hope. He is the God of hope. It ministers a message of hope to any who feel hopeless, who feel helpless, who feel hurting. And may I say to you, we all at one time or another feel these things. Hopelessness can take over. Helplessness can take over. We can be hurting and no one even knows about it except God does. The main character is Ruth. She is from Moab, and so being a Moabite, she is really excluded from the nation Israel. We'll look at these things as we go into the book further. But because she put her faith in God, she was accepted. She illustrates for us the bride of Christ. We're going to see that. She's a picture of the grace of God extended to all those who will put their faith in him. That God grants to us through a Jewish Messiah, his name is Jesus Christ, the redemption from our sins. Ruth and Esther are the only two books in the Bible that are named for women. Esther, interesting, Esther was a Hebrew woman who married a Gentile king. And God used Esther, if you ever haven't read that story lately, you should read it. She, he used Esther in a strategic time in history to actually preserve the whole nation of Israel. Then you have Ruth. She, on the other hand, was a Gentile woman who married a Hebrew man. And God used Ruth to perpetuate the line of the Messiah. And we'll look at these things further, particularly in chapter 4. It was through Ruth. Were there never a Ruth, there would not be a, a, a David and then leading to Jesus. Were there not this whole encounter reading the book of Ruth, there would be no lineage to our Messiah. So this is what Warren Wearsby wrote in his commentary on Ruth called Be Committed. God is mentioned 25 times in the book of Ruth, but he is not named even once in all the book of Esther. Yet, in both books, the will of God is fulfilled and the providential hand of God is clearly seen, unquote. God is at work whether his name is mentioned or not. Can I hear an amen? So as we begin chapter 1, running in the background, as we look at chapter 1, we don't get to this yet, but running in the background are two things. Number one, the practice of the leveret marriage, which we'll look at. This is the requirement that a man marry the widow of his brother and raise up a seed after her to keep preserve the seed. We'll look at that. The other thing is this, Kinsman Redeemer. Now, 
We'll look at these things later, but the word redeem is used 20 times in the book of Ruth in different forms. A dictionary definition of redeem is this, to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something, sort of make up the, the, to compensate for that, or to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. That's redemption. The biblical definitions are many. They carry the same ideas, but they're applied most poignantly to the saving of the soul from sin, death, and hell, purchased by God, belonging to Him. It means to ransom, to purchase back, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage. It means to repurchase what had been sold, to regain possession of something that was lost, to repay the value to the possessor. It means, I hope that you'll take this in a little bit, it means to rescue. It means to recover. It means to deliver from or to save. It means to free by making atonement. It means to pay the penalty. That's what Jesus did. The most radical thing you could ever even ever imagine is that there was one who could redeem us from our sin. And he did. He did. So in theology, redemption is this. To rescue and deliver from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law by obedience and suffering in the place of the sinner. That is Jesus, our Redeemer. The hero of the story in Ruth is Boaz. He is a picture of of our kinsman redeemer, the Goel. He is our hero. The hero of our lives is Jesus. The hero of our stories is Jesus. The hero, the hero of the change that's happened is Jesus. The hero of our rescue is Jesus, and on and on. Just attach Jesus to every one of those definitions. He paid the price to ransom us, ransom us and make us his bride and take us into his inheritance. Now, in, in Ruth, we're going to get this unknown kinsman redeemer who is unwilling to jeopardize his inheritance for the sake of Ruth. But Boaz so loved Ruth, he was willing to take her as his wife and then grant to her the continuing of an inheritance. It's a love story. It's full of grace and truth, as we find in Christ. So with each chapter, there's a new setting. Chapter 1, this morning, it's the country of Moab. Chapter 2, it's the fields of Boaz. Chapter 3, it's the threshing floor of Boaz. Chapter 4, it's Boaz in the gates of the city. Some have likened it to the country of Moab, there's weeping. In the fields of Boaz, there's the working. In the threshing floor of Boaz, there's the waiting. 
in the gates of the city, there's a wedding. That's the book of Ruth. Now, with each new setting, there's a new key word, interesting, in the book of Ruth. Eight times the word return only in chapter 1. Six times in chapter 2, only chapter 2, are the reapers. One time in chapter 3, there's the request. We only need to request one time, and it's done. And then in chapter 4, eight, eight times the word redeem, and that's where we'll be winding up in our study. A wonderful little book as a picture of the greatest story ever told. It's the redeeming love of God. And listen, I want to begin in the Old Testament just a little bit. Remember the scriptures. In Job chapter 5, Job said, he shall redeem you from death. In Job chapter 19, familiar with this one, I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at, light, at last on the earth. Exodus chapter 6, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great joy. The nation Israel, we're going to look at the book of Exodus. We're going to start teaching the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights. We're going to have a continual Bible study going on on Wednesday, so you can bring your kids to surf club. So that'll be here every week. We're going to start the book of Exodus. I can't wait. It's the, work, it's the, it's the story of God's redemption of his people. 2 Samuel chapter 7, David, thanking the Lord, said, And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations, and their gods. That's redemption. And then Psalm 49, as the sons of Korah say, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah, think about that one. He shall receive me. That's the redeeming love of God. So remember redeeming love. It came to pass in verse 1, in the days of the when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went up, to that's the house of bread and praise, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So the days of the judges, now if you know your Bible a little bit, you might know that the book of Judges is a, is a dark time in the nation Israel's history. It was a time of confusion. It was a time of great corruption. It was a time of judgment, and then back to God, and then judgment again, and judgment again. It says there was a famine. Why was there a famine? Do you know in the Bible, 13 famines are mentioned, and each one of them are because of the judgment of God? God told them if they forsook him, one of the things that would happen is the heavens would become brass, there'd be famine. So it's very possible what we're looking at here is a judgment because of the way it was during this time in Israel's history, in the times of the judges. Now, remember this, my brothers and sisters. Against this black background of corruption, of confusion, and of judgment, God sets this precious gemstone of a love story. And we only can appreciate the love of God when we begin to appreciate how it's demonstrated in the darkest corruption, 
of man and his sin. He manifests his son during that. Remember, in the darkness of this broken world shines the radiance of his redeeming love. Remember redeeming love. David said, for you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness, his love. Remember what Jacob said as he's looking back in Genesis 48, his life. He said, the angel, that's a capital A, I believe, speaking about Jesus Christ. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. You look at Jacob's life. He made it hard on himself a lot of it. The Lord has redeemed me from all evil. Israel, Isaiah the prophet said, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them, Israel. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. You look at Israel and the history of Israel, and you see the redeeming love of God for his people, just as so for us. And so Elimelech took his wife and his two sons to Moab. It was going to be a temporary stay, but they wound up remaining there, it looks like, for at least 10 years. During this sojourn, Malon married Ruth. We get that in chapter 4, verse 10. And Chilion, his other son, married Orpah. Tragically, Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion died. And so you have three, listen, this is so sad, three surviving widows of the same family. Why did her two sons die? Why did her husband die? We aren't told. Except this with her two sons. Malon means sickly. Now, how would you like to be named sickly? By the way, we just had our fourth grandchild uh, last week. His name is Liam. It's the best thing in the whole world. But they, when he was born, his name, but they named him sickly. So I'm assuming that when he came out, he looked pretty, pretty bad. Now, Chilean means Wasting away. Now, how would you, I don't know how you could name your kids these things. Here's sickly and wasting away. Oh, nice to meet you. But it seems maybe they were just very sickly, and that's why they died. Elimelech also died. And, but in Naomi's mind, she's looking at this as though they were part, this is part of God's judgment also. She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In verse 13. Verse 12, 21, she says, the Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. She's looking at these things as something that God has done to her. And how often, when there is suffering and death, do we blame God or get bitter at God? Let us remember something this morning. Death came into the world because of sin. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, Romans 5.12. Sin is what brought all the suffering, all the misery, all the heartaches into the world in which we live. We must remember that in the context of God's redeeming love. If you want to blame anyone, let's blame Satan. If we want to blame anyone, let's blame Adam and Eve. But let's not blame God. Now, may I say, 
God can take it. <laughs> we'll look at this in a moment. God created the earth and gave it to Adam to be a co-regent ruler over this perfect, glorious paradise. He gave them dominion over it. A perfect world where a man would live in perfect harmony and rule and reign this thing called planet Earth, co-regent under God's sovereignty. But tragically, man forfeited that rulership. He swallowed the lie and then disobeyed God. Mankind forfeited the world, what God had given to him, to Satan's rule. When Jesus was tempted, Satan said to him, all these things I will give you. Now, he could only give him what belonged to him, and Jesus didn't argue that. We read of what Jesus said that of the, Satan, he's the ruler of this world. We remember what Paul said in identifying Satan as the God of this age, or the, rule, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience. Remember what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 5, 19. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We live in a fallen, lost world that is right now still, Satan is still at work doing his stuff. And so when man sinned, God cast him out of the garden, what? To protect him in a fallen world, from going and eating the tree of life again and living forever in his sin. Listen, my brother says, that's redeeming love. Protecting us. The world would never be the same. The world is still not the same. Mercifully, God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And he's had a plan from eternity past for our redemption. His intention is to bring back to what he first intended for us. And he, as we sang this song, wasn't that a great song? He makes all things new. All things. So if we're going to blame anyone, let's blame Satan. Let's blame sin. Let's blame our Adam and Eve. But, let us, but may God help us. When we're finding ourselves bitter, finding ourselves charging, like Job. Job is an amazing story. We studied him a little while ago. He lost in one day all of his wealth, all of his health, and all of his family in one day. And when all these reports come to him, what does Job do? He didn't shake his fist at God, though he worked through it in the book of Job by doing that. But his initial response in hearing these things, he arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he what? Worshipped. Oh, to God, that we would begin to take in the incredible depth of his redemptive love in our lives. He makes all things new. And so Job then said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then it says this in verse 22 of chapter 1. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God foolishly. And I will say to you that Job had a lot of years with God. 
to work this kind of depth into an initial response at difficulty. So Ruth arose with her daughters-in-law that night that she might return from the country of Moab. Verse 6, he had heard in the country of Moab the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So a very tragic finale, if you will, to at least 10 years in Moab. I mean, the question, if I were that, I'd say, for what? For what? Why? That's, that's, the, that's the response. What's the point? You see, whatever Moab might have given, all she can think about is what's been taken. And she wants out. So she's hearing from the Lord. She's hearing the Lord is, 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 is providing now back in her hometown. And so therefore she went out, verse 7, from the place where she was. And her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest in each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. Notice, they lifted up their voices and wept. This is a very, very emotional, difficult, deeply troubling. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they're grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It forces some heart-wrenching, very emotional decisions. Naomi was prepared to go home alone. She has what she believed was her best intentions for her daughters-in-law. You see, marriage was so important. It provided protection, provision, family, children. And adding to the dilemma of these two her daughters-in-law, is that now they're widows. So her best, their best hope is you stay right here at hometown. And you can find another man and marry, but don't come with me. Then they again, notice this, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voice and wept again. You can sort of put yourself a little bit there. And or- Orpah kissed her mother, but Ruth clung to her. It was a different response from the heart toward Naomi and toward what was going on, what they were facing. Now, I don't think we can fault Orpah. I think many of us would have done the same. It's just practical. Take that practical, hey, yeah, you're right. I, yeah, and thank you for loving like that. And, thank, and so Orpah went away. And you know what? As I see the impact of Naomi's faith in the life of Ruth, I have to believe that even of a little bit of that rubbed off on Orpah, I think we might see her again in eternity. I don't know that. Remember this, my brother and sister, you have no idea how much of your love for God is rubbing off on other people. And they may leave and you never see them again, but you have no idea the impact that your love for God and his love for you has in the life of other people. 
So what does Ruth do? It's totally unexpected. Verse 15, she said, first said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Say, hey, look what Orpah did, Ruth. Don't be here, but Ruth is clinging to her. This is the third time Naomi tries to dissuade her from coming. Three times. In other words, she didn't make it easy to follow. But let me say, it, as far as her loving, rejecting Ruth, that was never in the equation. Ruth knew that. She knew that. If what we have to experience now is separation for your benefit, go. But Ruth said the only explanation for this is a very deep love. Her love for Naomi may mean that she'll never know the love of a husband. That she'll never know the, husband, the love of children or grandchildren. That's what it might mean. And though the word love is not used in this sevenfold devotion of Ruth, listen, this is the most beautiful and powerful expression of love you'll ever read. Look at this. One, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Stop asking me. I'm going. Wherever you go, I will go. And I don't care where it is, I'm going. I'm with you. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. If it's poverty, so be it. I just want to be where you are. I want to live where you live. Your people shall be my people. And your God, Elohim, shall be my God, Elohim. Another name for God that we find in Ruth. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. In other words, you're going to die before me probably, but I'm still going to be there. And when I die, I'm going to die and be where you were buried. And then she says this, The Lord do, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She is now making this oath before the God of Naomi, which I believe is now her God. In other words, this is her decision for God. For God. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to serve you until you die. I'm not going anywhere. My decision, stop trying to change my mind because you won't. The listen, this is important. The sub remembering redeeming love. The substance of this kind of love was forged in the furnaces of affliction and difficulty and pain and sorrow. Moab. Now, this to me is a tremendous encouragement to my heart. We often think we fail in our testimony to the world because we aren't always happy and triumphant. Now, there are teachings that sort of spur that on. Remember that the most difficult times we go through may be, in fact, our greatest testimony to the world around us. One of the, the darkest days in human history was when Jesus died on the cross. And yet that's our greatest hope. Remember that when people hurt, they need to know that you hurt too. And we do. When people suffer, they need to know that we suffer too, and we do. 
When people get bitter, they need to know that we get bitter too, and we do. When people feel empty, they need to know that we feel empty too at times, and we do. But listen, none of these things do we have not hope because of God's redeeming love. And so we sorrow and weep and suffer, but not as those who have no hope. Our testimony is not that we don't suffer, but it's who sustains us through it all. It's our Redeemer. I suggest to you that Naomi wept and wept again, but her faith never wavered. She knew God. Naomi came to know God. I believe Orpah too. Notice verse 6. The Lord has visited his people. She's, she's talking. She's hearing from the Lord. She's hearing about what God's done. She said to her daughters-in-law, verse 8, The Lord deal kindly with you. She said again in verse 9, The Lord grant that you may find rest. But then she also said, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. You see, these are hand in hand with living in a fallen world with the things that we deal with, but never apart from knowing a God who loves us, who sustains us. You see, the world's looking for answers, and we're supposed to have them but not in some pie-in-the-sky ideal, but with feet on the ground and experiencing the things that this life has. As Jeff Vanderstelt last week so communicated so well, people need to hear why we react like we do, why we respond like we do, why we have hope. Naomi's faith in God was a powerful and attractive and, yes, vulnerable faith A testimony to Ruth, who came to know and serve the same God as Naomi. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. And and the Lord do so to me also. And so verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Okay. And I believe in the heart of Naomi, though not expressed here, there was a certain amount of, of sort of redeeming joy to think she's coming. She's coming. And now now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened. Now listen, this is another thing just by my, nothing just happens. When you look at the book of Ruth and you see, wow, that was interesting. No, that was God. It happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited for them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Now, I don't know how, you, I don't know how that was expressed. Is this, she looks so different. Is this Naomi? Is it really Naomi? You're back. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasantness, but call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. 
who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So let me say what closing. Life has taken its toll on Naomi. Pleasantness is now bitter. She returned, and her people are excited to see her. She returns, and her people are concerned about her. She returns, and it's just at the same time as all her people are going to begin to celebrate the harvest. But she is a different person. And that's what years of life do. So she returned very different than when she left. I tell people all the time, you know, if you move, and you're moving back, it's not going to be the same. It's not. Things change all the time. You can't get back into the river where you stepped in it a while ago. It's a different river. And so... She's very different, but listen, this is what's, I, I think, so helpful for me. She made no excuses for it. She was who she is, bitter. And listen, neither should we. Remember, it's okay when life takes its toll. It's okay. It's okay that we're left hopeless. We feel helpless and we're hurting. It's okay when we've lost our bearings. It's okay when things have to change. It's okay when we've lost our confidence. It's okay when we've lost our assurance. It's okay when we've lost any idea, what do I do? How do I work through this? It's okay, it's okay. Because we have a redeeming God who loves us. Remember the story of God's redeeming love is moving ahead in his plans for Naomi and Ruth. It hasn't been short-circuited, it hasn't been ended. Now, here's what I think is so powerful. How is it going to move ahead? Naomi returned with Ruth at her side. If there was no Moab, there's no Ruth. If there's no past, there's no present. It's all God's work in his redeeming love in our lives. Ruth became God's redeeming love to Naomi. Wow. God works in mysterious ways. He redeems seemingly lost years of life. He does that. It was Ruth that gave Naomi a glimmer again of love and hope and a future. Family and friends, most importantly Jesus, do the same for us. But more than that, it was through Ruth that God's redeeming love would come to the whole world through what become one of her descendants in the genealogy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this wasn't by accident. It was by God's 
redeeming plan. So as we remember the redeeming love of God, remember the past came to pass. That you can leave it behind when it's immersed in the redeeming love of God. God's love can redeem the very darkest and painful past. Remember, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God's love can redeem the deepest wounds in your life. He does that. And as we look at the wounds of our Savior, we realize that's the depth of God's love toward our wounds in this world. There's healing. Naomi would be weeping, but there's going to come inexpressible joy in the name of a little grandson named Obed. Amen. And remember this finally, that people in your life are a gift from God. Maybe your children and maybe your, well, grandchildren, that's no doubt, okay? We might doubt the kids, but grandchildren, no way, that's. <laughs> you see, there are people that love you. And my encouragement is I have to encourage my, be vulnerable. Let them love you. There are people that are concerned about you. And with the, obviously with the depth of relationship needed, let them know why. Be honest. Open up and let that go out because that's God's redeeming love in your life. There are people that want to celebrate with you, but they're weeping also. And we need to thank God that they're with us. The hero for every Christian is our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so I want to close just by remembering some scriptures in the New Testament, and then I'll pray. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the what? Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 23. We also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. What is that? The redemption of our body. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who gave for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Had become a curse for us, for it is written, Curse everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians again. To redeem those who are under law that we might receive the adoption as sons. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Who gave himself for us? Notice. That he might redeem us, what? From every lawless deed and purify for himself his own, what? Special people, zealous for good works. He redeemed us for these reasons. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained, what? Eternal redemption. 
And finally, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Can I hear an amen? Would you bow your heads one moment? I'm going to... Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.